Witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting, Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, KD. Thank you for getting us started. And let me get our speaker unmuted. Hey, how's it going? I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize you were quite competitive a little bit, Deidre. <laughs> it's funny the way you slow down. Yes, I try not to be, you know, I have that facade like, oh, we're all equal and let's participate. And then that inner me is like, I gotta win. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 indeed. You know, I, I love that. I love the competitive nature because when we first started doing trivia, we were just having fun. But then I kept noticing this theme, right? And, you know, we try to spread the love, spread the love. But thank you for being here. You know, I'm excited about tonight. And i tell you why. It's because this is one of the topics that, you know, some people may find familiar, but other people are like, I don't get it. Right. And I enjoyed the conversation that you and I had. I'm like, you know, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I know a lot is going on in society. There's so much going on in you're one of the few people I've talked to who just kind of break it down. You'd be like, well, Calvin, this is how it works. And I really can appreciate you because I don't know the best way to describe it is that in my observation, it's like you bring your holistic self whenever you do what you do. And I love that. But that's just my observation of you. I'll let you introduce yourself. Tell us about you and your origin story, how you got started and how you started doing the work you do. So hello, everybody. Greetings. Uh, buenas tardes. Guten tag. All of that. Um, I am a Southern Belle from Little Rock, Arkansas, single parent home, a mother whose mantra was do better. So if I got good grades, I needed to do just a little bit better. Um, I Again, growing up in Little Rock, Arkansas, I found my way to undergrad at Purdue University. I ended up being accepted to NYU on the strength of my resume, and I was going to study human resources, and I did not go because I instead got an MRS degree that year. So I am married, uh, living in Danbury, Connecticut, and I think the things that you should know about me is I believe in the HR function. I believe in my mantra is getting people where they need to be. And part of that is my upbringing and just who I present in the world. I teach, I coach, I facilitate. And I've often told people that if you're not helping someone along the way, then you're doing it and it is life. You're doing it wrong. So that is my take on who I am, how I grew up. If there are other questions, because I know that was quick, but if there's something else you need to know about me, I'm open. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, it's kind of cool. I, I love when people, you know, they're born one place, they live in a different place. And I just kind of find it cool because you get the chance to see the world a little different. And, I, you know, and I love the fact that you went from down south and you went to Purdue, then you went over. So you've probably seen a lot of flavors of, you know, this HR and people thing. One thing I like about you is that I want to just kind of talk about the career in HR. And I enjoyed when we were talking, we were, you just kind of broke it down with the different personalities, right? So let's kind of talk about for individuals considering 
maybe a career in HR or career pivot in HR. Tell us about what are some strategies or resources that you recommend that they should consider, you know, if they are considering a career in HR. So if you are considering a career in HR, I want you to consider your strengths. It is necessary to know who you are to begin with. So there's some things that I like. I particularly like the Enneagram, and it's a, an assessment that you take to see how you show up in the world. I also like the Gallup Strengths Finders. So that gives you insight into who you are. You should also talk to other people, ask them how you present to them. And I know when I'm talking to people, there's a very basic Venn diagram that I use, and it's finding your igake. And I may be saying that wrong since I don't speak Japanese, forgive me, um, but it's finding your passion. So we talk about what are the things that you like to do? What are you good at? And what does the world need? And once you begin talking about those three areas, where they converge is where you should be. And if we're talking specifically about human resources, I don't know, Calvin, if you didn't want me to get into this, stop me. Enjoy, Um, enjoy. I'm I'm enjoying it. So this is how I kind of broke it down. If you want to have a career in human resources, I talked about it as far as positions in a school or athletics. So think about the quarterback. The quarterback is managing the people on the field, looking at the uh, the competitors, and then has to also call an audible, depending on what happens. For my sp- for my non sports fans, that's when something unexpected happens, and you have to shift course. So, if you are that type of person, that might mean that you want to be a generalist, a leader, a strategic person in human resources. I then talk about the cheerleader. Cheerleader is rah, rah, rah. It's engagement. It's employee communication. If you're that person that wants to make sure people are getting the message, that they're excited about where they work, that they're going to talk about this place and this culture in a positive light, maybe you're the cheerleader, right? I also talk about guarding. So that could be the security guard or it could be school safety. But those people want form. They want a clear path. They want facts, figures, metrics, and you need to follow the rules. If you are that type of guard type person, you probably want to work somewhere in compliance, ethics and compliance, doing policy and procedure, writing the manuals, things like that. So what did I go through? I went through the quarterback, the cheerleader, the guard, two more, teacher, Teacher gives information, but teaching has evolved. We now know learning styles. We know to have student-centered learning as teachers. Side note, I can say that I'm an adjunct professor at a Big Ten university. Um, So as the teacher in HR, you want to do learning and development. That's your sweet spot. That's how you operate. Now think of a counselor in the school. That's the person that's going to solve the life problems outside of the classroom, help you and guide you through. If you have that counseling type spirit, you want to be in employee relations, right? So Calvin and I talked about this a little bit before. Benefits is part counselor, but it's also part guard 
part guarding because it encompasses the metrics, but also the care of people. And allow me to give you an example. I had an employee who had breast cancer leaving for her treatments. And then she had the the hospital or the doctors say, well, this then the and the health insurance say, well, this part of your treatment is not covered. But the two treatments needed to go together. So how are you going to give her one and not give her the other? So that was benefits and employer relations working together because I wanted to be an advocate for her. So I'm calling the insurance company and then I partnered with my um company that does payroll and benefits, which at the time was ADP. And they said, oh, no, we have a program where you can put her in this and we'll do that advocating for you. So I was able to get some of her treatments covered when they were not going to be covered before because I advocated for her. But that takes listening. That takes knowing the system. That takes being human centered. Right. And Secondly, I had a CEO, same company, who had breast breast cancer. When she found out this employee had breast cancer, she sort of chastised me because she said, why didn't you tell me? Well, ma'am, ma'am, I'm HR. I am not going to share personal information unless absolutely necessary. We have this thing, laws and ethics. And I am proud of myself for standing up for employees in those moments, helping them. So that's why I like this profession, but I also like learning and development. I like the strategy aspect of it. I do gap analysis. I can look at your operations and say, here's a gap. Here's where we need to train employees, hire employees, or change processes. Now, if you're listening closely, I've stepped out of what are those traditional roles that I gave you and went into business acumen and operations. I'm an HR generalist. I like doing a little bit of everything. I like being on the strategic end of it. I like managing others. A generalist in human resources can be entry level and they do a lot of different things or they can be very senior level as opposed to a specialist. A specialist is your person that does payroll. That's all they do. They're specializing in payroll. Now, I would say anyone considering this field, it's not what it used to be. You want to think towards the future, right? So it's not just getting people paid. It's about what is the system that you're using? Can it be better? Have you talked to the other HR people or the employees about do they need special cards to get paid early? What what's the direct deposit process like? So it is more than your grandmother's HR, right? It is now we're well into systems thinking and helping people understand their why. It is engagement of employees. It is no longer showing up to an organization, doing your job the way a manager says you're supposed to do it and you go home. Now, what I've walked you into is the different age groups in an organization. Human resources needs to coach executives and leaders on how to manage and lead these different generations. 
For your 1940 and 1950 people, they want direction. They want a steady job. But if you're going down that line of age, some people want communication and technology. So it's different. HR encompasses all of these things. Now, the question is, do you want to pivot into HR? If so, where? Where would you excel based on who you are, how you show up, what you like to do, what you're good at, and what the world needs? Once you decide that, there are decisions that also need to be made, whether you're going into HR or some other profession, about the organization. Is the culture a culture where you can thrive? Do you like a lot of mentorship or do you like to be an independent contributor and work on your own? Do you need to be in a group of people? Are you extroverted and you get your energy from people or are you introverted and you know you need those spaces alone to strategize? The assessments I talked about will help you with that. That Venn diagram of what are you good at? What does the world need? What do you like to do? That will help you. And it is evolving as you are evolving. So I feel like I've talked a whole lot. If there are questions or if there's something else, Calvin, that you want me to touch yes. on, I'm here for it. Well, you know, thank you for that, because what you've done is you, you really helped. And I wanted to let you flow. And you, you did it, right? You begin to walk us through the different types of HR. One of my deep questions, I remember when this term generalist came about, HR generalist, I'm like, what is that? Isn't that the opposite direction that my industry IT is going? And I didn't understand it. But the way you describe it, it makes total sense, right? You are a person that you said you'd like to do a lot of it, right? So you're not just the, you know, the benefits person, the strategy person, you and you enjoy advocating for that holistic person. And I, I was laughing as you were talking because I was like, hmm, you know, I don't think you're this person that, you know, I'm typically, I see HR show up on my last day. They come in with the HR smile. Let's do the HR smile, y'all. You know, you do your HR smile and, and you're like, hey, I'm just letting you know you, you no longer have a job, but we love you, right? Just don't come back. See you later. But the thing you're talking about is a more proactive, engaged model. And I guess that's behind the scenes. I guess we never see that. But it seems like, is that something unique to you or you think that we're just missing it and we don't see that part of HR? So let me tell you, there's a lady on LinkedIn. She's called the anti-HR lady. I love her and I hate her. She's got some great points, but then she says things. I'm like, but that's not what I do because I operate in that space of advocating for the employee, making sure they have the best culture, as well as protecting the organization. Because I believe if those two are in alignment, the organization will do better. They will profit and the people will be happy. So I've learned that's the first note. The second note is I went to an HR conference and I'm sitting around and we're talking about, you know, people that need accommodations. So, by the way, if you ever need an accommodation at work, it's up to the manager to have a conversation with you, even if you hint at it. It needs to be a proactive approach. So I brought that up and someone said, well, no. If anybody wants any type of accommodation, they need to have a note. It needs to be specific from a doctor. Da, da, da. And they're going through this. And I stop and I said, you know what? That's why people hate HR. Oh. And I grabbed my stuff. 
not, I mean, I'm being dramatic, but I was like, that's why. So I have come to recognize that depending on the organization, depending on the focus of the leaders in the organization and how they view HR is how HR is able to function. And that impacts the employees. So even, and I've been in a couple of toxic environments, but I need to remain true to who I am. So as the HR person, I still push back and I call things out when leadership is wrong because that's what I need to do because I'm also an ethical person with integrity. And if leadership is not doing something that can benefit the employees, then we need to talk about that. On the flip side of that, if employees are showing up and you know you're not doing your job, we need to have a conversation about that. So we do employer relations, we do performance management, which both happen to be my sweet spot. Um, I had a, an issue with an employee, stellar employee, 20 years in the organization, does good work. He's not stellar in his work, but stellar in his um, way he communicates with people, the way he shows up and his ability to be a part of the team. He began to have declining work. And the manager, and you'll get this, managers will call up HR, I need you to, to reprimand this person. I need you to fire this person. I'll need you to, you know, do a performance review. And I'm the HR person that says, whoa, wait a minute, hold up, stop. We're not going to do that. We're going to have some conversations about what's going on. We're going to dig deep and see why. So I get a notice that we need to, you know, write him up. But Why? I find out the employee who has aligned himself with the job, which a lot of us do, and you feel that that is your worth, this man had brain surgery. He took two, that's uno dos, one, two, and uh, days off. Complex employee relations, but we find solutions. So assigning work, finding consultants that can do a piece of his work until he can come back and be fully whole, ensuring him that he has the ability to take the days off and his job will not be at risk. So this is the thing that HR does behind the scenes. I also manage a lot of conflict. I've got employees saying this manager is doing this and vice versa. So I am in the ring you get to this corner, you get to this corner, and let's come in, shake hands. We're not going to fight, but we're going to hear each other. We will see each other. We say something in church in an African saying that says, Salabona, I see you. But it also means we and the ancestors see you. So when you ask me, Calvin, is it just me or is this all of HR? It is really, you know, it's not... It's not in a box. It depends on the person, the organization. You have someone like me that's from the South. So I'm big on customer service. I understand some of those sensibilities, but I'm also someone that understands business and I'm about business, but I'm human centered. So there's no one in this profession, no two of us are alike, 
But part of going back to an original question is, and I'm still learning, understand what your value proposition is when you're trying to move into a role into human resources or another role. I left a sales and marketing job to do training and development. People said I'd never get a job in training and development. I'm a black woman. Apparently you haven't heard. We do and we show up. So what I did was I went back in my background to say, where have I done those competencies? And I'm able to speak to those competencies and how I'm a value add. So that was the shift from sales and marketing to training and development. I then got a certification in human resources and said, hey, if this training and development thing doesn't work out, I need to have a broader perspective. So let me learn how to do benefits and performance management and develop internship programs. And oh, wait a minute. I was doing diversity, equity, and inclusion before people called it diversity, equity, and inclusion. So when our, um, and I've worked in construction management in HR, so when our summer program was really sons and daughters of employees, and they all looked alike, right, I was able to revamp the the summer program where it was more diverse, it was more women, more African-American, more Asian. What did I do as a human resources, resources professor? professional? Yes, I increased diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I also increased the pipeline through my sourcing and recruiting. You know, thanks for sharing that. Because, you know, one thing I I love about it is it begins to foreshadow to your additional work, your work as a career coach. Now, I don't know if you consider yourself a career coach, but what I'm hearing is a lot of stories and experience that allows me to know that when you're working with people, you can see them, you can help them. But it seems like you may also have this HR background facilitator that may even influence your approach. Tell us about what you do as a coach facilitator and how you help other people in their career pivots. So when I'm coaching someone in a career pivot, and oh, by the way, it could also mean that you want a promotion in your current role. I did have a client that got a $30,000 raise and a new title. So we do that too. And when I'm dealing with coaching clients, it is listening to them and finding out where the dichotomies are. It is understanding that Oh, you said you wanted, and I'm just using this as an example. You said you wanted to lose 60 pounds, but you're eating red velvet cupcakes. Okay, stepping on my own toes. However, (laughs) you listen to what people say, what they do with the transparency that it is a confidential space. I don't care who's paying for it. It's confidential. I don't talk about what we're talking about in this space. And even when the world says you can show up in your authentic self, they don't don't believe it. Don't believe it. However, in a coaching space, you can show up and be who you need to be in that moment. I believe that you come with all that you need. I help uncover where you need to pivot how you need to maybe have a shift in mindset or behaviors. And that can be career coaching, career pivots. It can be life coaching and it could be executive coaching. So I've had leaders that did not necessarily know how to communicate with employees, how to release um, communications company wide, or they had what they termed a difficult employee. 
That's what I do in the coaching space. Facilitation. Now, coaching can be one-on-one, which mostly I do one-on-one coaching, but it can be group coaching as well. Facilitation is a little bit different. Facilitation is I have a team of people and the organization or the leaders have said, well, we have a leadership problem or we have a communication problem or we have a diversity problem because, yes, I know that Beyonce can find 52 trombone players, but I can't find any black people. I'm sorry. They didn't go to college for this. I can't find black folk. Sorry. (laughs) So what happens is. We call symptoms when we say we have problems. We don't call the root causes. So what facilitation does is I suspend, and I do this in coaching, I suspend judgment, but in facilitation, it's a group effort to collaborate on what is the problem? And it's deep diving into, well, why did that happen? And it's using their words specifically to have dialogue around what is happening. Because the reason why, and I've shied away from DEI roles and some of the people that were hired two years ago are now getting laid off, is because people have performative, meaning they don't really take it seriously. They're just trying to check a box. They're putting a Band-Aid on a broken arm. And what facilitation does is says, okay, let I want you to empty out all that's on your mind, how you feel about it, and let's begin to talk about what we see, how we see it, and the lens that we bring. And that really is a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging focus on facilitation. And facilitation is the heavy lifting. It is the courageous conversations. And it is an investment. But if companies, if organizations would invest in that facilitation, they'd be better on the other side of things. Now, human resources is all those things that I've talked about, succession planning, strategy, gap analysis, employee relations, benefits, payroll, compensation, you know, that's learning and development. It's all of those things. I can sit in a coaching session with someone and I'm full on coaching, helping them understand where they're in their sweet spot, helping them hear what they're saying and their goals and things like that. And they may say something that I know as an HR professional, let me help you out. What I do is ask permission. I'd like to take off my coach hat. I'd like to be Deirdre HR for a moment. So you say you want to talk to your boss about this. Allow me to help you with the conversation that you can have with your boss and how you manage up. I love it. I love it. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about so many friends that could use your support. People who have the toxic environment. I like the way you describe. If your organization toxic, don't or if your leadership toxic, don't be surprised if your management team and your HR system is toxic. I, I heard you talk about all of these challenges, and I'm thinking about the friends that I have who may have been moving along and then they get stuck in their career, stuck in the mud. Then I'm thinking about friends who have the toxic work environment to where every day the senior managers come and they just infect the whole organization with stress and anxiety and everything. And then I'm thinking about the organizations that simply don't have leadership. 
they're just doing stuff. I don't know what to call it. It's just like, hey, we're doing stuff. You know, I call it personality based, you know, uh, management. But, you know, um, as we get ready to transition, we're going to um, prepare for our next speaker, Cherie. And before we go to Cherie, we'll have a brief commercial break with Kendall, our social media expert. But I would like for you to kind of wrap us up and tell us a little bit about Alma. And lastly, you have a unique perspective. And I know from a friend that some kind of way you've managed to find HR lessons that can be learned from Cardi B. <laughs> But you don't leave it there. You, you, then you switch to Proverbs eighteen sixteen. I'm just going to slow down. Tell us about Cardi B, Proverbs, and Alma. Okay. So <laughs> this is where we go, and we don't have enough time. Um, two things that I've done that scared me. One was disrupt HR, five minute presentation. You had to have something catchy. Your slides advanced automatically and you just had to talk your way through it. It was face to face before the pandemic, 200 people in the room. And I've got to deliver this lessons, HR lessons from Cardi B. So she has a song that says, um, yeah. So I use that to see how we do recruiting. And we're always looking for the right fit and we're judgy. Um, yeah. So then you have biases, you know, with black men getting kicked out of Starbucks and designers walking models down the runway with nooses on their neck. It's hectic. Bias is hectic. So those are just a few of Cardi B's titles and songs that I I, I keynoted three STEM conferences after that um, HR Disrupt lesson. So that was, you know, it was a gift. And that's something I talk about to people who I coach, that if you just start to evolve, recognize your gifts and how you show up in the world, they will make room for you. Because I've done learning and presentations and teaching, I was sitting in a hospital room with my mother in Arkansas. When I got a call from someone who said, hey, we've been talking about you to teach a communications class, but we decided, okay, we should call you to see if you're interested. I said, give me a couple of days. I'll redo my resume because I had already been doing the work. And they sent me a contract in a week. That was 2019. I'm still teaching at the University of Connecticut. So your name can be spoken in rooms that you have yet to enter and your gifts will make room for you. As a coach, I'm an encourager. I am invested in your success. And what Calvin is talking about is I was laid off from my full-time HR role and I am launching Alma. And Alma in Spanish means soul, but it happens to also be my mother's um, name. And when you take a look at your soul and what you want to do in life and your trajectory, it encompasses coaching, right? But in organizations, I help organizations get to where they need to be. That's the facilitation, HR and keynoting. So the new, the new company is Alma. So join the list. I believe I will launch on my mother's birthday this month. Um, almallc.org. Will you join me, please? Um, and I awesome. know we're running on time. Calvin, did I hit the points that you Yes, need? you did. You did. You did. And you get a chance to still drop in the chat. You may have some questions from the audience. So in the audience, if you got questions in the chat, feel free to drop in questions for Deidre, excuse me, Deirdre, and make sure that you uh, 
<laughs> you know, get questions. And Tamika has dropped a few, some of your contact information, but make sure you let the audience know how they can follow you. And thank you very much, um, Deidre, for being here tonight. OMG, Kendall, what's up, my brother? How you doing? Let's get you unmuted. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Man, you know, I just love, love, love to have these speakers who um, just bring so much perspective. You know, I've been in my career for years and just hearing how she breaks it down is so, so, so good for me because it helps me understand. But enough about that. You know, I wanted to have a commercial break and speak to you because you are my favorite, favorite, favorite social media professional. And, and it's so funny how it came to be. Is that, you know, I'm meeting you, I meet your mentor and he's like, hey, man, the young brother, you know, he's smart, you know, he's still in school, but you want to work with him. And at first I was like, I don't know, because, you know, I don't know if he's smart like me. But then I, I gave you a few things. I'm like, let me give him this to work on. You come back and do your thing. And I'm just, you know, appreciative that you do what you do. But tell us a little bit about you in this commercial break, about who you are, what you do, what type of social media work you do and the type of clients you like to work with. So basically, uh, my name is Kendall, uh, and I do social media consulting, basically. Um, I can handle brainstorming, uh, setup advice, uh, photo and video editing. Um, I've worked with um, a lot of music clients as of late, and I can work with podcasts as well. I've worked with uh, Warner Music Group. I've worked with Amazon Music. I've worked with um, Atlantic Records as well. Um, I, my goal here is basically to help you understand social media, but also take the burden off of as much research as I've done um, to, to do that. Um, with podcasts, for example, um, you want to be um, a problem solver for them. Uh, you want to be their doctor. If you can, if you need to be, you want to be their uh, psychiatrist, therapist, their friend, comedian, anything that you provide them, you're solving a pain point for them. They tune in for a reason. Um, and so I'll use that. Also, if you have video content, I'll use that, chop it up um, and put it into a social media post. I'll do photos, videos, whatever type of content you need. Um, I've been doing it for almost um, two years now. I have my own platform that has 500K on TikTok, going on um, Instagram. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit awesome. about me. Uh, Awesome. You know, one thing um, I knew when you got it right, we were having this podcast collective where I'm helping people launch their podcast and it was kind of cool, but everybody's in the zone, right? They're focused on their podcast, their mission, their purpose. And you kind of, you know, gave them some marketing one-on-one. I don't want to call it marketing one-on-one because when you said it, I was like, you know, that may be marketing 300, 500. You're like, well, I forget what you said, but I think you said something about what's the pain point or what problem are you solving? Mm-hmm. And it all yeah, that's, that's us, exactly what it was. Yeah, it gave us pause because we can do this work, we can do this excitement, and we have this passion that we do in podcasting. But to slow down long enough to fall back and say, "What problem are we solving?" and it helped us all pause for a second and think because when we begin to give these information to you, this video, these artifacts, we have to be like, "Well, what are we doing?" But I like mm -hmm. the fact that you can also coach us along the process because as time has changed, you know, we're not doing reels and TikToks and things, you know, in my generation. So I think it's cool to have somebody in your generation to be able to help us out. Well, feel free, man, drop in the chat where people can contact you, follow you. And in the audience, you know, and for people listening to this replay, feel free to reach out to Kendall. He's a very, very smart brother and he is up and coming in 
the world of TikTok, social media. And if you need any help, make sure you reach out to them. So thank you, my brother, for being here. Look forward to chatting with you soon. Next Appreciate up, it. Thank you. Thank you. We have our featured speaker for tonight, Miss Cherie Knowles. And I'm really excited because I've known her for years, maybe known of her for years. But the cool thing is I remember when we connected many, many years ago, I was doing some consulting work and I was, you know, working with an organization that she worked with. And the cool thing that I began to realize is that, you know, she, I began to kind of watch her and then she was just growing and growing. And then all of a sudden I seen her, you know, launch her own business, but that's just me observing. So I am humbled tonight to have Cherie here tonight to speak with us. And she's brought some of her family and friends. And I'm so, so excited mm -hmm. that you guys chose to hang out with us tonight at Southern Soul Soul Thursdays. And it will not be your first time. Hello, Cherie. How are you doing? Hey there. I am great. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. What do you think about Miss Deidre? Okay, you got it. So <laughs> <laughs> she said, get my name right. Yes, right. I love trying. it. So let me tell you, um, wow, let's start with that. Uh, so many great nuggets. And I hope y'all were taking notes because she was dropping it. And um, for those of you who are in HR, it's good information to have. Those of you that just have to deal with HR, it's good information to have. So I loved it. She was awesome. 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 Well, you know, I would love to hear about you. And at, at Soul Thursdays, we love a good origin story. You know, where you grew up, where you come from, where you went to school. Tell us about what you do and tell us a little bit about you, your origin story. Yeah, yeah. So I would say uh, like deep down right on the inside, I am still a little black girl from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I'm somebody that Grew up in a tough environment, um, a.k.a. poor, but I didn't know it. My mom did a really good job of hiding it. Um, and because of that, I was able to build some resiliency and tap into my gifts. Uh, when I was growing up, um, my two mantras were, uh, one, if it's to be, it's up to me. And two, I need to maximize my minutes. So I learned early on that um, I think everybody has God-given gifts, uh, but most people still are in that journey to figure out what they are and how to tap into them. Um, I, in Cleveland, went to the University of Dayton in Ohio. Shout out to UD Flyers. They are, um, it's an amazing school and they are an amazing organization. From there, I was dating this guy. I was still living in Dayton, and um, I had this urge to go to Atlanta. No rhyme or reason. But I'm like, hey, listen, I'm going to Atlanta. You coming with or not? And so he said, okay, let's do it. And we came to Atlanta. No job, uh, no plan. I just knew, again, my mantra, if it's to be, it's up to me. I'm going to figure it out. And so I've been in Atlanta now. First time for about 10, 12 years, I moved to Philly with a job and then I came back and I've been down here 15 years now. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, I think you are officially ATL native. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So as Deidre got us started on this starting of career pivots, you've actually experienced a career pivot of your own. Do you mind sharing with us your journey of leaving the corporate world and starting your own HR consulting firm. Absolutely. So let me say first that uh, being an entrepreneur, as you know, is not for the faint of heart, right? Um, 
it's hard and pretty much every day you're going to be trying to figure out something new. So I think I just learn and grow as I go and I just trust God and I just keep going. So in my last corporate position, um, I was in the top HR spot, like top job, one person removed from the CEO. I had this amazing compensation package, stock options, bonuses, multiple types of bonuses, ability to fly first class, like every single place I went. So right on paper and to the external world, that was my dream job. It looked pretty good. But on the inside, um, I was completely and utterly miserable. Um, Being the only Black organization in a conservative environment, I really felt like a purple unicorn and not the cute kind that you see in commercials. Um, It was hard. And so get this, here I am, the head of HR, right? I'm helping employees, other people, navigate exclusion and microaggressions and bias, while at the same time, I'm personally experiencing inclusion, microaggressions, and bias. So um, I knew that I needed to get out, but I truly, and this is just real talk, I was a slave to the paycheck. Um, It was great. Uh, We took great vacations with my family, and it was really hard for me to let that go. So I'm going to tell you a quick story. Prior to joining this company, a friend of mine asked me to come and conduct a change management training for her in Birmingham, Alabama. I go, I do an amazing job. They gave me this great feedback. So I come home, like I'm riding a high because, you know, I kicked rocks. And so I'm like, okay, what do I do next? And my husband, Mark, says, well, you got to send him a bill. Good idea. So I go on Excel. I find a template. I put in, you know, payable to Cherie Knowles, uh, $1,800 for this class. Then I'm looking at it. I'm like, ah, that doesn't look professional. Like I need to look like I know what I'm doing. I'm fancy. I need to look like a business. So I find some image off of Google, which probably right now was a copyright uh, error, but I did it. Um, And then I put at the top Knowles Consulting. Send this bill off, this invoice. I get a check back. $1,800, it is made out to Knowles Consulting. The company doesn't exist. I don't have a bank account in that name. Can't do nothing with this check. So my husband, Practical Mark, says, well, call your friend and get a check in your real name. Y'all heard me. I'm riding a high. Like, I think I've done something amazing. I'm like, I can't call her. Not now, because, you know, like she thinks I was doing a great job. I'll call her later. I put the check down. I start working for this company. And guess what, Calvin? I can't find that check. So I'm working for this company five, six years, cannot find this check for $1,800. And y'all, my husband don't play when it comes to money. So you can't just lose $1,800 and be like, hey, no big deal. So every time I was like, hey, can we get a fence for the backyard? Oh, how about we take the kids on vacation? He'd bring up what? That $1,800 check. I can't find it. So once I decided to leave corporate um, and I'm, I just leave, I'm out and I'm talking to God, just like I'm talking to you, like, okay, I need a sign. Like, what's next? Do I get another top HR job? Do I start my own gig? Like, I really need a sign. So here I am one day cleaning out this junk drawer and lo and behold, there's this $1,800 check. So now I'd never called my friends. So don't y'all laugh, but I was still too proud. But I did call the accounting department. I'm like, guess what? here's the deal. They put me on hold. They come back. 
And you can hear these people laughing in the background. And my my narrative is that they were laughing at me, right? That's my story. And the lady says, listen, my boss said, send that check back today. We have been carrying this $1,800 check on our books for the last five or six years, waiting for you to cash it. This is a global multi-billion dollar company. $1,800 is like 18 cents to them. So that was my sign. I was like, got it. I sent the check back. I got one in my real name and I started my company. So that's my story. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, the journey of an entrepreneur, and I, I love the pride. I love the excitement. And I also love, I am... The, what's the husband thing? He said, yeah, we could get a fence or a pool. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. If we had that $1,800. Right, exactly. I, <laughs> like, yeah, like, he's like, who loses an $1,800 check? And you know me. I'm like, it's not lost. It's just misplaced. So, boom. Awesome, awesome. Tell me this. So now you're, you're, you're getting, you know, closer to the goal. You're going to start the company. What motivated you to actually focus on helping, you know, employees, excuse me, employers create this alignment between their workforce and business operations? So one of the things I've worked for big, large companies, startup companies, so you name it, like in HR across the gamut. And what I realized is that small to medium-sized companies um, need great HR. What they typically do, because they can't afford like a top level HR, somebody is in the office manager role, they happen to do HR, they happen to do accounting, they might even do facilities, Right. And I thought, um, why not uh, get a group of friends and bring to them a level of HR expertise that they could never afford on a fractional basis? So we do it part time. They get us a couple hours a month, whatever they pay for, and they get top notch experience. So that's why. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm thinking about people who can use those services now. So it's like yeah. smaller businesses um, who can essentially leverage a lot of awesome experience and consultation from Absolutely. you and you meet them where they are. That's pretty awesome. That's you right. Know, the theme of the show is the future of HR. And I had a few topics in here. And as I begin to kind of look, you know, there's awesome, you know, every day on the news, everybody's talking about artificial intelligence. Yeah. Then people are also talking about DEI. In addition, yeah. people are talking about this post-COVID environment. Like, what are we going to do? Tell us what is going on through an HR perspective. Are y'all back laughing? Are y'all like, we told y'all to get ready for this? What is going on? It seems like there's so much going on. Tell us through your perspective about the future of HR and some of these things that you see are happening. Yeah. So, you know, here's the here's the truth. And so you'll find that I'm just real and direct. Um, a lot of HR professionals aren't ready. A lot of companies aren't ready. Um, here's what's going on. Here's what's coming. So in the future of HR, let's talk about artificial intelligence for just a moment. Um, AI is going to have an enormous impact on the HR profession. People, of course, will always be needed and you can't replace the human. Um, however, some of the functions and job duties are going to be replaced. We've already seen, everybody's talking about chat GPT. We've seen the pros and cons about that. Um, other AI platforms are already taking shape. And so I am thinking um, that there are going to be some new challenges in HR that um, we haven't even thought about. So what comes to mind for me, dealing with employees who are sharing sensitive information on AI, like sensitive company information. 
Um, they're doing that to maybe get their jobs done better, faster, smarter. But what they don't realize is that all the data that they're sharing then goes into the uh, database or platform. And then that can easily be accessed by somebody else. And then the other thing I think um, HR professionals and leaders in general, so managers, directors, um, what about your policies, like your social media and your communication policy? I would bet money right now, if you were to take a poll, most people haven't even thought about AI yet. And that's going to need to be addressed. So that's my thought on AI. I think there's so many pros to it, so many benefits, but there are a lot of things that businesses are going to have to think about, biases, all, all sorts of things. And some companies have even banned the use of uh, chat GPT in their workplace. So that's how serious this is. And, you know, you talked about diversity. This is a never ending conversation, right? Um, for some people, they wish it would end because they're just like, I'm on DEI. We still talking about that. Like, is that still a thing? Well, yes, ma'am. And yes, sir. That's still a thing. And in the HR world, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a hat that most HR professionals find challenging to put on. So I'm going to take you back. 2020, George Floyd was murdered in May, uh, actually Memorial Day weekend. And right after that, in the June timeframe, most companies reached this pivotal moment where employees were like, we've had enough. Like this is stuff is happening in the workplace and we need to focus on this. So all eyes turned to HR, um, who most times had little experience. They weren't expert in all things DNI, but they were trying to hold them accountable for that. And Deirdre talked about um, then they realized that HR couldn't hold the bag. So then they go out and hire all these DEI professionals. And what are they doing today? Um, because they feel like, oh, we've checked the box. I'm laying these people off. So this is an issue. Um, well, I don't think HR needs to be the expert in all things DE&I. Um, they absolutely need to be the experts in culture and inclusive workplace cultures. So my philosophy, and when I talk to HR leaders in training and DEI work that we do, um, if they can lead the organization from an inclusive cultural perspective, they're going to see the pendulum shift in the right direction. DEI training is great, but it only scratches the surface. Like if that's all y'all doing, um, behavior is not going to change, right? People going like you go to church and you be like, hallelujah, and you get in the parking lot and you can't remember what the minister said. That's what's happening in the DEI space right now. So they need to do more and do better. Wow. Wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, um, I was wondering why there was this, I don't know how to describe it. It's like bittersweet nuance with DEI. Mm -hmm. You know, it's good. It's bad. It's working. It's not working. You know, and like you said, um, you know, people get fired and then people get laid off and it's, it's complicated, right? Because like you said, the problems may not have been resolved. And I love how you describe, hey, George Floyd happens and people like, hey, this stuff is happening at work. Yes. I know when I went through things, I was having things happen at work and people looking at me like, huh? I'm like, no, 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 guys, you must understand the same thing that's happening on the streets is happening yes. at work. And yes. it's just like, it's adding up and it's causing all of this, I call it PTSD and this stress Absolutely. and whatever. And I was like, and it, it was crazy. And, and, and it's, it was sad, but it's almost like no one even kind of believes you, right? Mm -hmm. And they like, well, what do you do with it? But it was good that essentially- the people spoke and they said, enough is enough. Is enough. 
One more topic on the future of um, work and HR, the remote work. OMG, I knew it was coming. I remember some 25 years ago, I'm at IBM, I'm working from home at 22. And I was like, hmm, one day other people are going to get this this privilege, this experience. Mm -hmm. COVID happened and everybody gets a taste of what it's like to have the work-life flexibility working from home and people do not want to go back to the old world. What are you seeing in this, you know, this work from home culture? Are companies struggling with it? Are they okay with it? What's happening there? Yeah. So I I love that we're talking about this and like this, this can be a talk like all by itself. So first, let me acknowledge that there are truly some positions that you cannot do from home. So let's just put that on out there. There are some things that you literally cannot do remotely, but a great many of these things, these jobs, these careers that we have can be done working virtually. Um, It's funny. So we have a recruitment division at HRKS. And when we're interviewing candidates, it used to be the first question the candidate would ask is, so what's the salary range for the job? What's it paying? Now, they don't even ask that. The question is, is this a remote opportunity? And if not, like how many days do I need to come into the office? And they are making um, decisions about where they work based on that. That is a huge thing for them. And when I'm thinking about employers who are struggling, because it's a big deal, like some employers are like, I don't know what to do because I got all this real estate. I'm paying a monthly lease. I've got these expenses and I need the humans in here to like make me feel like I'm getting the bang for my buck, right? The value. Then you've got companies who are a little ahead of the game and they're like, okay, let's try this hybrid thing where you do a little in the office and then you do a little at home. But at the end of the day, um, you're still going to have employees who want that autonomy and I'm going to call it work-life integration. I don't believe in work-life balance because it's never really balanced, but that flexibility, the autonomy. And so companies, I think, can do three things. One, create, if you have a virtual anything hybrid or fully virtual, a workforce guide that really addresses some of the things that people can expect, what you expect. Um, One example, and hopefully my client is on in here, but when the pandemic happened, as you said, everybody went home and I'm like, okay, so what are we going to do? They were using something similar to Zoom. They made every single employee log into, let's say Zoom, all day long, like they were just watching them, like they weren't meeting. They just had people working during their jobs, but they were all on camera all day long. So you know that that was a cluster, right? Like that didn't yes. work. Thank yeah, you. that was horrible. Um, no offense, client, but they got it right after a while. So all of these things, do you turn on Zoom? Do you keep it off? Can you turn on the camera? Um, how do you communicate outside of chat or text? Like the old school way, like picking up the phone and calling people. Um, I think companies also have to think about how do you keep your culture going? How do you keep it thriving when people are working from home, right? So maybe you have virtual events like at our firm we're 100 virtual we we were ahead of game we've always been virtual we've had um happiness hours like a play on happy hour virtually we've had um team building events that you can easily do virtually like escape the room uh, anything but things that you can do because gone are the days where i could just walk down the hall and be like yo calvin you want to go to lunch like you 
I don't know where you are. So I, we can't do that, right? Or we can't hang out in the break room. So I think companies have to be really intentional about maintaining or preserving their culture just in this new way. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for describing that. You know, I'm really excited to hear about HR Knowledge Source. It seems like you guys are doing some awesome work. You're working with small businesses. You're giving them what our favorite word here at Soul Thursday, access to the yes. type of support they need. I would love to hear about the consulting companies, some of your team members, some of the things that you guys are proud about. If you have any stories you would like to share with us about certain wins, but tell us more about HR Knowledge Source and the work you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. So when it, so first of all, we're about to celebrate 10 years. So woohoo, that's exciting. Um, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, going past that five-year mark is a really big deal. So we're thrilled about that. Um, I can't talk about HRKS without talking about my team. I have the most amazing people um, who have uh, without me in the weeds, created this most amazing community. Like it's beautiful. Um, we have subject matter experts. We have generalists like um, Deirdre was talking about. We have um, people who plug in and do consulting projects and then unplug when they've got something else going on. Like there is a level of um, camaraderie and fluidity to this organization that um, I'm not smart enough to have created that by myself. So shout out to my team. Some of them are on here today. Love, love, love them. They're amazing. And they do great work and they give great service to our clients. What we do, four things. So one, we started the company really doing what I mentioned, serving clients in that mid to small range um, and being like an outsourced HR partner for them, whether it was a lot of hours or a little bit of hours, whatever they needed, but they got this expertise that they couldn't normally afford. We've then, um, we still do that, and that is a huge part of our business, but we've migrated to, based on the needs of the world, based on the needs of the market, we have a staffing division where we place professional level roles. Um, we do it in a really uh, unique way, so it is not your traditional um, headhunting or temp agency firm, um, because we have this HR background and our recruiters get to uh, spend time with HR professionals there. It's just an amazing thing that clients get. We um, have something we call Career Blueprint, which is our solution for retention and talent management. Um, everybody's heard of quiet quitting. Um, that isn't a new thing. Like, I mean, it's a new name, but it's not a new thing. When I was in HR 10, 15 years ago, people were showing up to work quietly quitting every single day. They turn on the computer and um, stay under the radar. So this whole idea of quiet quitting um, may feel new to some people, but it's really not. So we help companies figure out what's happening in the organization. A lot of times it's the lack of career conversations. So we built a solution called Career Navigator. We're training managers and employees on how to have career conversations. Most times companies have performance reviews. And when you do a performance review, what are you doing? You're like looking backwards, like what did they do over the last 12 months? Nobody's talking about what can you do over the next 12, 24, 36 months to get you where you want to be um, so that you feel connected and you stay in this company. So we're helping clients do that. 
we are doing a lot of leadership development and training. Um, as you know, leaders are the experience with leaders is probably the number one reason people uh, leave a company. It's not the company itself. It's an experience they're having with their direct line leader. And a lot of people get promoted when they're a good worker bee to like the manager of the worker bees, but nobody tells them what that looks like. It's a whole different ballgame. So we help clients teach their leaders and train them to be better. Then the other solution that we offer is DICE. It stands for Diversity, Inclusion, Culture, and Equity. And we are really changing the narrative around DEI. I am so excited. My practice leader, Ama, is on here tonight. Um, we have what we call a learn, do, be proprietary model that um, supports our belief that inclusive cultures is the way to go. People are doing okay with diversity, like check, I got enough of those, got enough of those, like counting the number. But once you get them in the door, like what happens then? Are you set up to help them be successful? So that's inclusion. That's your culture. That's your DNA. So we're focused on calling people in versus calling people out. Um, we don't believe that the blame and shame game um, works because the people who are um, in the minority feel like the spotlight's on them. They always got to tell their Black people, gay people story to anybody, right? Their soft story. But it also doesn't work for the majority, which is the dominant white culture, because they're like... I don't want to, I didn't, that wasn't me, uh, you know, 200 years ago. And so we're calling in because we think that everybody, no matter whatever your demographic is in terms of diversity, there's a place for you in the DEI conversation and a place for you on the spectrum. So that's our approach. Um, and literally we are changing the game. Like I can't even, it's, we're changing the game. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I'm, I'm loving hearing what you're talking about. And I knew this one organization they were writing, um, I forget, um, it was a story on uh, something about, you know, diversity or racism in a workplace, right? Mm -hmm. And and I, I love the fact that they took time to write it because wherever I went to talk about the topic, people, it was always starting from scratch, every single conversation. Mm -hmm. It was like, uh, is it real? Are you sure? Did you check? Did you consider? And it's like, I'm like, how many times do we must have this same conversation starting over from scratch yes. every single time. Yes. The work you guys are doing is not what I know. Because as you're talking, I'm hearing all of these nuances where I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of got to a season in my career where I'm kind of old and a little, you know, ornery, right? So when you come yeah. and say, hey, we're going to shame or blame you. And I'm like, yeah, I right. know how to keep my nose clean. Uh -huh. Or if you're like, hey, we're going to do this and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care about those benefits or whatever, those cookies. I don't know what they give out these days, but, you know, really connecting with the audience, because with the stuff that uh, Deidre was talking about, I'm working on it, it's like some people are like, there. why is that important? But then you bring us full circle to say, well, if you don't do it, you're going to get this quiet quitting. That's right. And you think quiet quitting is new, but it is not new. It may have peaked and become popular because of COVID. But this quiet quitting has always been there. And I love it. I love it. I love it. What we're going to do is open up to questions from the audience. We're going to have KD. We're going to add her to the spotlight. KD, what do you think about Miss Sheree Knowles? OMG, what are your thoughts? Well, Sheree was speaking my language all kinds of ways. <laughs> I got I got more than enough drama going on in the workplace. And I'm just I'm just trying to like come out alive every day. So thank you so much, Sheree. It was absolutely awesome. Thank you. 
Yeah, so we're going to get some questions. So if you're in the audience, feel free to go ahead and put your questions in the in the chat and we'll read it to you. But Katie, I always like to do the first question. So, Katie, you want to do the first question while we get some questions from the audience? I can. And I have, I have a question for you. Are we doing questions for both Cherie and for Deirdre? Yes. Also, I'm going to add her to um, if I get her video, then I can add her to it and see what did I do. Hey, let's see here. Did I replace everybody? Let me get this thing correct. Uh, That's okay. I can I can start with a quick question, and I yes. do see. Go ahead and get started, and so I'll get the video okay. correct. And I see some in the chat also. So you guys keep putting your questions in the chat. Um, you know, you talked about Cherie, um, the fact that or we, we always talk about the fact that people quit leaders and they don't quit companies. Mm -hmm. um, as a leader, what are some of the things that someone can do to make certain they stay in touch with their people and stay, I think, um, just connected to what the needs of their staff and their teams are? Absolutely. I would say the top two things you can do, um, one, ask questions and really listen, right? So don't ask a question and then be forming another question or your answer in your head, but really listen. And the second thing that you can do is show some interest in them beyond work. So people want to bring like their whole selves to work, right? Like I'm not leaving my situation in my life at the door. Going back to what um, Calvin said about when George Floyd was murdered, like we brought that to work. Like you can't separate that. And so leaders have to do whole person management. I, I firmly believe that. Thank you so much. And, and actively listen and not yeah. listen, listen with the intent of um, asking a question. Is, is Right. <laughs> That's right. Or, or, or thinking you already know the answer, but you just asking it to check a box, right? Because you already have deduced what this person's going to say, or they're that person. Yeah. you got to really listen. Oh my goodness. Here is a question. It's from Dr. Miriam Rayleigh, and it is, she's doing research on microaggressions in a virtual environment. Hmm. Um, have you come across any information about that? Absolutely. Um, I will, um, maybe Calvin, I can send you a couple of links to things that I've read around that. Um, a couple of things that show up um, in a virtual environment, what we found is that people, um, feel more comfortable demonstrating bad behavior um, virtually. So they will um, cut people off faster. They will say uh, rude things and then, you know, go on mute and, you know, do all these things. So that bad behavior, that incivility, microaggressions, bias, all of that is just expounded um, in a virtual world. Yeah, and I would love to hear um, Deirdre's also um, thoughts on this. Um, feel free to jump into the conversation. You know, while Sharia is talking about that, you reminded me of another nuance I've seen, and this is so weird. And I'm calling it ghosting during meetings. <laughs> OMG, I, you know, I had this session of meetings and, you know, I got these customers, right? And all of a sudden, you know, three weeks in a row, we had a weekly meeting and like five minutes before it's a cancel or they don't show. I'm like, what is that, right? So it was the weirdest thing. And, and then I'm like, like, this is a whole new nuance that I hadn't seen before ghosting. And these weren't just, hey, meetings of, you know, whatever. These were paid, prearranged, whatever, but just very different behavior. But, you know, um, I would love to hear from Deidre also to see if you have any thoughts about these nuances. She's unable to unmute. Oh, you got it. Okay. All right. 
So with regards to ghosting and this entire virtual environment, what we found is that people have been impacted by the pandemic in ways that we recognize and do not recognize. Mm -hmm. So there are anxieties and behaviors that, as Cherie said, have been heightened and you see more of it. And people have a lack of accountability and they've essentially checked out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we're still beginning to understand all of the mental uh, impact that the pandemic has caused. And I think that that ghosting is a piece of it. I do too. Yeah, I do, I do too. And I think that... Um, to Deirdre's point, um, some of it, like we might make an assumption that the person is being rude or um, disconnected, but sometimes like Zoom burnout, Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Um, and we have, uh, studies have shown that since the pandemic, we have more back-to-back -back meetings than we've ever had when we were in the office. And people are just frankly exhausted. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I see another question. Um, Tiffany Brown is asking, how does a unionized workplace affect HR responsibilities? Mm. Ooh. So I, I worked in a unionized environment uh, twice, and um, there are some pros and some cons from an HR standpoint. So one thing is that everything is spelled out most times, right? So it's really, you just are kind of following the rules because they're all spelled out. The hard part though, is when the gray area, right? Like the employee relations issues and challenges and um, that you have to deal with like with a fine tooth comb because in a union, you've got your union representative, you got that bargaining agreement, and um, a savvy HR person will know how to read between the lines to make sure that the workforce is still cohesive. So my answer for a union environment and Cherie is on point with making sure it's a cohesive environment and reading between the lines. I had 14 union truck drivers working for me when I worked at Pepsi-Cola. Mm -hmm. And what you find is that there is a them versus us environment that's kind of historical and it's built into that union labor relations. And you can do something, and this is the same answer for when you train managers that have been sitting in a role for so long and they've just been promoted and they don't know how to manage and lead. It's trust. Yep. And yep. and so I started to build relationships with them so that once you build a relationship with someone, it's harder to be contentious. And I also helped I helped myself to understanding what their role was like and the challenges. So now I'm able to advocate for union employees. I'm able to handle grievances a little better. And I'm always fair and balanced. As an HR person in a union environment, you need to, yes, know the contract, but you also need to be, and I said this before about something else, be human-centered, mm -hmm. right? Fair, equitable, and ethically sound. Thank you for that answer, both of you. Um, there's another question from Dr. Miriam, um, Dr. Miriam, Miriam Raley, excuse me for butchering that name. What trends do you see um, in, in terms of how management styles are changing in a virtual environment? Deirdre, you wanna take that one first? So in a virtual environment, the way I've seen the changes in leadership and management style 
is that people are not equipped to have conversations virtually. They lack, they believe that they have to be in person to conduct conversations and get anything done in an environment. I was able to increase engagement I did some things like Cherie talked about. I did a mocktail cocktail hour Mm -hmm. that people enjoyed. I brought people together more so than if you were in one space because we still had a dispersed workforce. Mm -hmm. You have people that need a step-by-step instruction manual to do things. And if that is the case, they're not going to be agile and fluid for the needs in this virtual environment because you've got to pay attention to the chat. You've got to manage the micro expressions because you don't have the full body non non verbals. Right. And those are just a couple of things. I don't want to take up a whole lot of time because I want to hear from Ms. Knowles. <laughs> um, here's, here's what I think managers who were not great managers before the pandemic um, just got worse. <laughs> and they, they were already on the struggle bus and they just continued to stay. I think that um, to Deirdre's point, um, being intentional as a manager is really important. Um, So think about this. We didn't just go virtual. Like we went virtual in a pandemic. So there was also confusion around um, how to manage people when their kids are running in the background or asking a question about homework. And so the whole work-life separation of church and state was completely gone. It was blurred and managers were on the go on their feet trying to figure out how to manage that. And so I think now we've gotten a better handle on it. Um, but you have to be intentional. Like you just, because you can't just walk down the hall and grab somebody and have a talk. Right. I like that intentionality and managing the micro expressions. And then I want to read the question from Shanika. Cause, from you know, Shanika, sure. Yeah, yeah, I know this one's going to be fun. Let me see. How can <laughs> I, Shanika that is, gain supervisor experience to build confidence in my ability to manage and supervise? I am a mid-career licensed professional with over 10 years of experience. However, I still deal with imposter syndrome. Sigh. Coach, you want to take that one? <laughs> so, so part of understanding how you need to show up in the world and believing, you know what, let's get away from all of that. I want you to ask for and show up like all the mediocre white men Ooh. asking for double your Ooh, salary. Man. Y'all and trigger uh, Katie. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's stop there. Um, right. Because there are people operating fully in their mediocrity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So at least you have the wherewithal to say, I want a little more information. So the way you give yourself more agency is perhaps do some volunteer work where you have to lead people, right? Mm -hmm. Volunteer for smaller projects and then work your way up from there. From a volunteer role, I did operations for a 750-person assembly. I had to manage clergy, politicians, uh, media, setting up everything. And that was from a volunteer role. Mm -hmm. So you may not walk in doing that, but how that started was they said, oh, we need somebody to do sound. So I got my husband. We did the sound. 
I have never done sound before in my life, but I have a figure it out kind of spirit. Mm -hmm. And so when you begin to figure things out and people know that you are willing, they call on you, they help you. And you have people I know in this room that you can, can turn to. You watch the leaders, what have they done? Do informational interviews with people who are where you want to be and think about all the people who are operating in their mediocrity and know that you've already shown up better because you are conscious of wanting to hashtag do better. Awesome. I, I heard that. And in just case, you know, here at Southern Soul, we are all volunteer supported. So Shanika Cousin, that means you can volunteer here, volunteer here. And yeah. we need somebody to do audio, um, icebreakers. So come on back, um, Shanika. Uh, mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, I mean, you seriously just took us to church there, Deirdre. You, mm-hmm. you really did. Awesome. Did because there are plenty of people who don't have imposter syndrome that should. Um, but they don't. You know, they, they could benefit from a little imposter syndrome. Yeah. Right. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> we could all benefit from them having imposter syndrome. Um, I've got a question. question. Let's say one last question. Okay, go ahead. No, she asked that once. That was Shanika, actually. Okay. Oh, and Shanika, I need you to begin for every one negative that you think about yourself or that you cannot do. I want you to think of two positive things that you've accomplished and that you've done. And I need you to recognize your giftedness. And yes. so when you yes. recognize your giftedness, that builds that skill. Yeah. And if I can add to what you just said, because that's amazing, speak it into existence. So not just write it, but say it out loud, because then you're seeing it visually, you're hearing it and you're saying it. It's getting down on the shot in, in the inside. So definitely say it out loud. Awesome. Katie, you had a final question for us? Yeah, well, really just one, but okay. Um, here's one. This one doesn't count, though. Um, Robin said, are either of you members of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psych? And if so, how does one become a member? So she may have had some challenges trying to, to gain membership. Any any information about that? I'm not. Um, I'm not a member of that organization of SHRM and then NAAA HR, which is the African American HR organization, but not um, the IO organization. No. Come on, Cherie, with the NAAA HR. I used to Listen. be on the board of directors in New York. Yes, <laughs> yes, I was in Atlanta. Yes. Yeah, I'm a member of oh, SHRM, yeah. and I just and I was a local member, a strategic leader for a local organization. That's why I was getting the operations experience, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sherm is S H R M. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Katie, I want to say thank you to our speakers for being here tonight. Deidre, for being you, for being yourself, letting us know that even we could turn and watch Cardi B and begin to understand (laughs) HR. You know, um, Jamelia said in the chat, if all HR professionals were like Cherie, and Deidre, then what would life look like and what would it be? I love that. You guys have come here tonight, Southern Soul, broke it down and shared with us your passion and give us a different hope, a different way of engaging with our HR professionals and our um, those people at work. And now I think I have the language and the wink in the eye to be able to be able to look at. I know the words, I know the language, and I know this environment is toxic, so I know it's toxic for you. 
help me <laughs> help you make this a better world. But thank you, Cherie, for being here. It was so awesome. Thank you, Deidre, for being here. OMG. Finally, we got a chance to work together. It was so awesome. Katie, any last words? I know how you like to have the last words, Katie. I do like to have the last word. Um, seriously, what Jamila said about how refreshing the two of you are, um, I cannot tell you from a personal standpoint, you just brought brought joy to my heart and just the way that you guys are so real with your advice and just really inspirational. So I want to thank both of you for all the expertise and wisdom that you brought to us this evening. It is much appreciated. Um, oh, thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.